Hey everybody, John Fenn here, Church Without Walls International, C-W-O-W-I.org. And I want to uh, just say right off the, the bat here before I get going that uh, I'm offering the PDF of my book, Return of the First Church, to anybody who wants to email me at C-W-O-W-I at AOL.com, C-W-O-W-I at AOL.com. And saying this up front because we're a house church network, and what I want to share today is just a little bit of what I went through. The book, Return of the First Church, is my journey from the auditorium church to relationship-based faith expressed by meeting with others in homes. And, and so I just wanted to share that right up front, that if you email me, I'll be happy to, to email you the, the PDF, C-W-O-W-I at AOL.com, excuse me. Now, my brief story is that for the first 25 years of my faith, I was in the auditorium church. And that means I did everything from, as a teenager, uh, talking to my peers, helping them through situations and, and, uh, and problems in life. Through the years, I was an associate pastor, a pastor. I traveled in teaching, uh, just different th capacities like that, always in ministry, campus ministry at a university. Uh, and, you know, and, and things of that nature and uh, pastor of, of a church, associate pastor, like I said, all the way through, it was very practical, very, very much about this is how we live our faith. I was as an associate pastor helping, you know, a, a single mom with her two teenage kids that were just really, really a handful, uh, you know, all the way to helping a, a, a woman whose husband became caught up in, in his particular church denomination that gradually got control of the husband, telling him that, you know, things like he couldn't have a, uh, a magazine in his house or a TV in his house because he might lust after another woman to finally he couldn't go swimming uh, with his wife at the local uh, gym or or um, pool because he might lust after other women. And it just got so controlling and, and he ended up leaving her so that he could be involved with the church. I mean, stuff like a very practical area. That's where our faith lives. But the more I went along professionally, the more elevated, if you will, uh, I became um, in in that auditorium. Eventually became a, a leader in a, a megachurch, um, director of a Bible school, and after that consulted and, and traveled around North America, helping churches and Bible schools. And they always ask the same three things. How do I pay for my church? How do I grow my church? How do I keep people from leaving my church? And that was the true of churches, Bible schools, et cetera, all over the world. And, uh, and, and a real unrest developed in me. Uh, I saw, I had a, a, a fairly well-known evangelist tell me, you know, we're entertainers. And he said, you know, any of us have a basic six or seven messages, any talk about evangelism, six or seven messages that we, that we preach and that's it. And, uh, and then he would brag about the amounts of the offering that he received that, uh, that weekend. And, and it was, it was just horrible. It was more of a show. And uh, and his his idea that you know we're performers or something like that, and then I, I started seeing it more um, uh, along the lines of of a, a self insulated society. That when I'll give you for instance, and I mentioned in in my book Return to the First Church, when the pastor's wife got up and talked about how the devil showed up at her door and she hit him with the Bible, and I just happened to be in the congregation that night, sitting behind a couple who had come in, and they were they had obviously been playing tennis or something because they still had their athletic gear on. They just came to an informal Wednesday night uh, service, 
because I was on staff, I had to have a, a coat and tie and everything at that time. And uh, when she said something about the devil came to her door and she hit him with the word of God, he turned to her and said, what? What is she talking about? Did somebody show up at her door and she, she threw the Bible at him? You know, and I just overheard their conversation. And I realized that most, so much of the church was, was self-insulated and becoming uh, a subculture. It had its own language. It had its own, own dress, its own, its own culture. And all the while, once you went into the church, you would think that we were world changers. You know, we're taking the world for Jesus and yay, rah, yippee, ki, yay, you know, and, and none of that was happening. Instead, all around me, I saw society just, just dropping to the pits, you know, going down in, in flames in terms of the morals and the ethics and attacks on, on people of faith and, and things of that nature. And I began searching the Lord saying, you know, where are you moving next? What are you doing? And, and fortunately, I had, in my capacity at that point, after I'd left the uh, the mega church and traveled on my own and and worked with an, another ministry, I traveled all over to where revival centers had been, uh, TACF Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship down to Brownsville, uh, Texas, which some of you may or may not be of that generation to know of the outpourings that went on there and and different things of that nature and 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 I was just seeking the Lord, where are you moving next? And I just happened to be in uh, Toronto, uh, actually Mississauga, ministering at a church on a Sunday morning. And, and during the worship service, uh, my eyes were open to the Lord's realm. And the Lord, you know, was six or seven steps away from me on the platform. And he told me this. He said, see what I see. People running to and fro to this meeting and that, looking for the spectacular, thinking that is supernatural while they miss the supernatural work in their midst, even in their own hearts, where the process of discipleship is supernatural. And he said a few more things, and then he, he drew to a close, and he said this. He said, as it was in the beginning, so it must be now. I'm moving in relationships. And then he disappeared. That was February 5th, I believe, uh, or 4th of uh, 2001. And that set me on a course of study to see how did Paul do church? How did the early church do it? How did they go from 120 people at Pentecost to turning the Roman world upside down in under 300 years? You know, how did, how did they do that? And I started realizing that, that the whole of the New Testament from Matthew through the book of Revelation was done by apostles, written by, eight, by about eight apostles, who were doing church in the home. They, the only way they knew for the saints to gather was church in the home. And they did that because the synagogue system had been had begun a couple hundred years earlier, which was a means of discipleship in Judaism, and uh, where they would gather 10 families or 10 adult males, that is, uh, any boy 13 years and up was considered an adult male. And so as long as there were 10 adult males, 13 and up, uh, but basically 10 families, you know, would get together and then they would rotate homes. They'd rotate who would lead. They would, they would have a, a gathering on the Sabbath and then, and then the leaders would make copies of the, the Torah and, and they would uh, talk about the word of God and, and have food and every, everything else. So when the book of Acts happened, they just continued in that. Acts 2.42 said they were continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and food and prayer. And that was the Jewish culture of the day, and it just continued to, to meet in homes throughout the Roman Empire. There were no such things as church buildings for several hundred years. And 
And so when I realized that the, that the whole New Testament was written by apostles doing church in the home, and they were writing to people who were doing church in the home, I was horrified that for 25 years I had pulled the New Testament out of the context of the home and put it in an auditorium. No wonder the Christian bookstores were full of, of, of books about how to do church, because none of it made sense unless you put it back in the context uh, in which it was written. And so I, I began seeking the Lord, and I began, began began realizing that I don't want to, in fact, I told my wife in October of that year, I don't want to do pastor a church again, but if I did, it would be out of my living room the way Paul did it. And um, and then in November, first week of November, first Sunday of November, I was up in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, uh, again ministering in my capacity then as as the director of Canada for for ministry, and um, <clears throat> and again that Sunday night, and, and let me say this: the the church was in a rundown area of Edmonton, and the ministry, the heart of the pastor, was actually for for people who had been you know drug addicts and sex workers and and people who'd just been on the street. And I mean, and, and the church showed it. it was in a, a little rougher area of town. But when the Lord appeared to me, he came walking over and he said, I love these kinds of people. And I realized that he loved the transparency. He loved the, the just, hey, this is my heart. This is what I've done. Uh, by God's grace, I am what I am. He's changed me. And, and when the Lord came walking over, he, he said that. He said, I love these kinds of people. This time the power was turned up. The pastor next to me just fell flat on his face. He just couldn't even stand up. Three Bible school students that we had with us later said, did you know the Lord was here? He walked right by us. For me, uh, the power was up and I just fell to my knees, which I do anyway when I, I see the Lord usually. And, <clears throat> and he told me, he said, you've been doing the work of an apostle, but now I'm laying hands on you as an apostle for this task. I want you to start a house church and a house church network. And I want you to structure it in such a way to facilitate the development of house churches around the world. And when I asked him why he wanted it done, why he wanted to do that. Now, keep in mind, this is, this is uh, November of 2001. So uh, when I asked him why, he said this. He said, it's against a time to come. Be a resource for them, for it's against a time to come. Well, folks, I said all that and share all that and, and offered my, my book at the beginning because this. We are approaching that time to come. We are very nearly in that time when uh, with we've got a few years left, but with economic difficulty and persecution, uh, we, like I said, we've got a little bit, but before it's unleashed uh, next half a dozen years or so uh, fully, um, you know, you need to be in a relationship-based faith. That is, it, perhaps you are stirring around too where, where you want the genuine, you're tired of the show. And, and and looking like the world and everything else, and you just want genuine people of faith, I encourage you to seek them out. I encourage you to look for friends who, who uh, maybe have been floating, haven't been attending any one church in particular. Maybe with the pandemic, they've been used to, to you know online church and meetings and everything. Seek them out, get together with them, have, have coffee, tea, invite them for a meal. Start meeting uh, people of the same page because because in the times ahead, it, we need to be each other's resources. And so anyway, like I said, I, I'm not going to go on with this and everything. It's just really on my heart. You want to know what we're all about and, and what we're doing and why, you know, the balanced teaching and everything. It's balanced because, because you know, what I've said many times, I've said for 20 years, is that, that anybody can say they're a Christian. Anybody can say they're born again. But, but God has designed it so that our righteousness is proven within a framework of relationships. That's wisdom that anybody can say they're a Christian, but it's it's the pr the proof is is manifest through 
the network of relationships that we have. So anyway, I encourage you um, just to, to consider about who you have in your in your life. I, I go back also to Peter, who in Acts chapter 12 was supernaturally released from prison in the middle of the night, and he knew exactly whose house to go to, where John Mark's mom's house, Mary, in Acts 12, 12, says that they were praying for him. And Peter knew who to go to. And I, let me ask you this. If your wor world fell apart, if you had need of, bill, of bills being paid, if you if you needed a friend, if you were sick, if you had somebody that you needed food and water and clothing and being visited or taken in, do you know who you would go to? Uh, most people's experiences, they can't go to their auditorium church to help with the rent or anything else. They can't go to a friend in the church for emotional need because they don't know them. Uh, you know, so, so what I'm saying is get serious about your faith, get serious about the relationships. We are each other's resources. And, uh, and anyway, that's the context of the New Testament. And that alone ought to shake you that if you have taken the New Testament out of context and put it in the auditorium and tried to make it work, you should be horrified and realize that it was written by apostles doing church in the home, writing to people doing church in the home. So put the New Testament back in context and within the framework of relationships, and you will find an amazing uh, new chapter of your faith. All right, God bless. CWOWI.org is our website. And if you want the book, Return to the First Church, the PDF of it, I'll be happy to send it to you. Just email me at CWOWI at AOL.com. Bye-bye.